Do you want to book more meetings from today? I'm joined by Armand Farouk. He's the Director of Sales at Carter and host of the 30 Minutes to Presidents Club podcast. We'll be chatting through the top ways to reach your ideal customers and convert them into meetings via cold calling, via emails, and also utilizing LinkedIn. Plus, we'll be running through killer cadences to make it happen and the mindset you need to adapt to get more meetings scheduled in a diary. So with that said, let's jump straight into the episode and roll the intro. Welcome to Sam's Business Growth Show. I'm Sam Dunning, a digital marketing, sales, and business growth evangelist. Tune in and subscribe today as I'll be interviewing business leaders, experts, and entrepreneurs from around the globe. You'll be learning their story, how digital marketing has helped them along the way, and exclusive tips, insights to help you skyrocket your own business. Oh man, welcome to the show, man. How's it going? I'm thrilled to be here, man. And and I gotta say, you guys have had some stellar guests, so I hope I don't horribly disappoint the audience. But we're gonna try to keep it pretty high energy, exciting here. So you guys are in for a treat. Let's do it. Cool, dude. So looking forward to jumping right in. And um, so as always, there's a few main things we want to cover. But I know we said just before we hit record that you've got some pretty hot prospecting tips that you're ready to share with our, our viewers and our listeners today. So we'll jump yep. into that a little bit later, but before we get into those, those hot actionable tips, let's talk a bit, little bit more about your story. So a bit of background on you, Armand, um, in terms of where you grew up, how you got into sales, and a bit more about some of the key places you've worked at. And if you could share one or two actionable tips in sales, business, or marketing that you picked up along the way, that would be awesome, man. Awesome. Let's do it. So quick background on me. I hate it when people go for 20 minutes on their background. I sold insurance for two years, which is where I learned how to hit the phones and brutal business. I left and ran a startup for two years. So ran my own company and I was mostly selling the whole time. I worked in strategy and venture capital for two years. And then I realized I missed being on commissions and I found myself at a company called Carta. I started as an account executive, uh, having a sales background and a startup background. We sell to startups. Uh, I did 225% of my number at the time. And it was largely because I was an extremely strong prospector and I had three times the pipe as anyone else. And they said, take what you're doing, multiply it across 30 SDRs. So I built out the SDR team. Uh, and then that was going particularly well, quintupled the pipe gen that that team was doing. Uh, and then they said, take what you're doing and now take over the SMBAE team. So today I oversee the SDRs and the SMBAEs. Uh, one funny story is when a lot of people want to like ask me when I came to Carta, uh, how, how'd you get to 225%? And it's, it's not really like I, I had the venture background. I was a structured thinker. I'm pretty analy analytical approach, but the, my number one tool was being able to hit the phones. And where I learned to hit the phones was when I was selling insurance. And I was about 20 years old at the time. And I was selling insurance and wealth management plans. And I was trying to cold call uh, law firm partners. So people in their 40s and their 50s who are making over a million bucks a year. And uh, God knows you could never get on their calendar. And so I was cold calling these guys and I was like, hey, it's Armand, how's your day going? And I would just get ruthlessly ripped apart on the phones nonstop. And so this top producer who made something like 2 million bucks a year at Northwestern Mutual at the time, he came over to me. He's like, why the hell would anyone take a meeting with you? And I was like, well, thanks, guy. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm 20 years old. I'm in student debt. I don't have any money. And I'm supposed to be advising these guys on their finances. And he's like, I'm not doing this to beat you up, man. But you got to come up with a reason that they're going to want to meet with you versus everyone else that's calling them. And it's not how's your day going. And so he's like, I work with a couple people in that office that you're calling. If I was you, I would pick up the phone. I would say, hey, I work with a couple partners down the hall. It's 
Brandon at, at, at Northwestern. Have you heard my name tossed around? And I was like, okay, well, I, I don't have clients in the office, but can I just bring you in on these deals? And you close them. He's like, absolutely. That's why I reached out because you're good on the phones, kid, but you got to change your opener and you need a little bit of clout behind you. And so all of a sudden I started picking up the phones. Literally within the next month, I had meetings with 20 law firm partners, closing massive insurance deals. And wow. that was okay. the story of how I learned how to call. Got it. So this guy, so basically he was saying that you need a bit more clout. You need a, a better reason for calling for people giving you, you their time on the phone. And he said that you needed to reference um, companies that they know, companies that are in their vertical that your, your business is, is helping. Is that right? And it gives you a bit yeah, of background, so gives you a bit of substance. So let's unpack it because this is sort of my notorious heard the name tossed around opener. And so the way it starts is it, it's less about like, I'm going to throw down logos. It's less about just like dropping clout on the floor. It's about leading with context before you introduce yourself and then not asking how your day is going, but asking a different question. So let's start with first piece. First thing you're going to do is when you're researching your accounts, you've got your top five buyer triggers. Okay, maybe it's they just raised funding. Maybe it's they grew 25%. Maybe they're, uh, they're working with one, we're working with one of their competitors. Maybe they have a mutual investor with us, whatever that might be. Okay. Then I'm going to take that number one buying trigger that I could find on that account, and I'm going to make that my opener in short form. And so let's say, for example, that I work with one of your competitors. I'm going to say, hey, hey, Mark, uh, we, we work with competitor X over here. Uh, it, it's Armand at Carta. Have you heard her name tossed around? And so after I introduce the context, I'm going to get you to sit up for a second because you're like, okay, you work with one of my competitors or you work with other people in my space. And then I'm going to say, it's Armand Icarta. Have you heard my name tossed around? And the, have you heard my name tossed around question is an assumptive ask. It's like, you, you've heard of us, right? Even if you don't have a product that's very well known, that's fine. Nine times out of 10, if you're at a lesser known company or if you're selling insurance like me, they won't have heard your name tossed around, but it's about having a dis assumptive demeanor and then introducing yourself at the end versus if I said it's Armand Carta to open the phones, I'm immediately a telemarketer and they're going to hang up on me. Got it. Got it. So that's, it's, it's kind of like a pattern interrupt, but something, something different. So it's not something I've, I've heard much. And yeah. what, what, what's the typical reaction when you start this opener? Are people a little bit thrown back, a little bit off put? Yeah, and so I say, it's Armand Carta. Have you heard my name tossed around? That it, it can go one of two ways. It's either, yeah, I, I think I've heard of you guys before. Or it can be like, no, no, what's this regarding? Okay. And so if it's no, what's this regarding? Well, then I'm going to ask permission to tell them why I'm calling. So I'm going to say, hey, can I get 27 seconds to tell you why I'm calling? And then you tell me if this is even moderately relevant for you guys, right? The reason I reached out is because we work with other portfolio companies. So I'm going to be really heavy on context. Then I'll go into my value prop. If they say yes, so have you heard my name tossed around? Yes. I'm not going to go through the whole dog and pony show of like, well, the reason for my call is we're the market leaders in this, this, and that. You know who we are. And so I'm going to ask you, hey, it, it, yeah, that's awesome, man. I'm not shocked you heard our name toss around. We work with a bunch of folks in your space. It, what'd you hear? Right? Like typically customers at your stage are frankly customers of ours. And so like, could you give me a sense of what you didn't like, what you did like? And now my goal is to understand why they didn't sign up in the first place and have an organic conversation. And it feels like a conversation as opposed to a pitch and an interrogation. Nice. Got it. Okay, well, that makes perfect sense, man. Um, 
And then in terms of, so you said you did 225% over quota and that helped you to, to get promoted to directing the, the whole bunch of 40 plus sales team within the company. What else led to that? So was it purely that cold calling strategy that helped you build up a solid pipeline or then any other bits and pieces that went into it in terms of um, making that happen? Yeah, so I tended to make my money on the edges. And so prospecting and negotiation is where I tended to do really well for myself. And so other prospecting tactics is I was really good on the phones. From an activity standpoint, I was just extremely consistent. And so there was never a week where I did not hit a minimum of 200 dials. Literally, if you go back in my outreach activity, every single week, including the last week of the year and the last week of the month and the last week of the quarter, there are 200 dials on the calendar. And I would source eight self-source meetings for myself a week. The second piece is this, for those of you guys who follow me on LinkedIn, I, I'm, I'm a pretty good writer. And so the way that I craft my emails and my cadences was, I mean, the reply rates would just be so much higher. And I can go into like how, how I structure an email and what my cadences are structured like, if that'd be helpful. That'd be great, man. I mean, on this show, we love to take the angle of digital as well. So the emails would tie in nicely to that, as I'm sure there's a lot of everyone tuning in that will perhaps not getting the response weights that they they would like on email so that'd be an interesting topic to discuss totally so let's talk about the structure of the cadence so email to email and then let's talk about when you actually open the email what do you see so email to email typically i'm doing 10 to 14 touches typically two email touches to one phone touch so typically say two thirds email, one third phone, mix in some LinkedIn in there over about 30 to 45 days. Okay. And so if you, you sort of map that out, it ends up being about an email and a call a week, right? Uh, I, I, you're not allowed to send any more than two emails in a week. At that point, you're just blasting them and you shouldn't even send two emails per week, two weeks in a row. Okay. So that's the cadence email to email space them out about four days apart, lead with an email on the first touch, then call them on the second touch and follow up with an email right away. You always call then email. The reason you call an email is you leave a voicemail, you send them that email. The moment they check their inbox after they heard your voicemail, the email's at the top, okay? So don't just like call somebody and then three days later send them an email, tie the two together, lock in step, okay? The second thing is what are the topics from email to email? Your first email is your opener with your number one buying trigger that you found in your research and how you solve that specific problem. You do not need a bullet pointed list of all the clients you have, all the problems you solve. You need one problem that you believe they have. The second email is a quick follow-up. Thoughts? And just before we move on, could you give us a quick run through of what that first email might look like from a basic high bill research XYZ? 100%. So give me one second. We'll go into that email specifically right after it. Let me just lay out the, the whole sure structure. Do. Okay. And so I'm going to hit that one problem, quick bubble up. And then the next three or four touches over email are just going to be the number two, number three, number four, number five buying triggers that I found. So don't hit them with everything at once. Change the topic of the email each, then hit your breakup email at the end. Okay. Uh, so let's hit on that first email. I'm super, super finicky on email structure. Okay. So let's talk about subject lines. In that first subject line, let's say I've got my number one buying trigger. I'm not going to be putting in like, do you want more leads or something super advertising or the market leaders in equity management. I'm going to put that first buying trigger in the subject line. And so if it's 
they just raised a round on funding. I'm going to put congrats on the round, comma, we work with some of the folks in your space, right? Something super short. If you can fit it in four to five words and under, that's ideal. And we go inside of the email. Every single cold email that I've ever sent, you could pick it up on your phone and you would be able to read the whole message on your phone. Okay. You don't have to scroll. And so I call it the three by three rule. Okay. So no more than three bodies of text, three lines each when read on your phone, it looks really, really, really clean. And so the way that's structured is context value ask context to your question earlier is that first buyer trigger. So inside of that email, Context is I'm gonna, you're gonna open the email because of that context subject line. And that first line is gonna be, congrats, you guys grew by 20%. We worked with customers like X and Y who are in a similar position. We worked with Soylent or we worked with DoorDash when they were at a similar stage. You guys are on a hot track, that's awesome, man. Full stop. Next paragraph. The reason I'm reaching out is because typically when you are having context like above, then X problem tends to happen, okay? So typically when you're growing this quickly, your payroll tends to become a super manual process. Things tend to go wrong. You have more employees that are pissed at you, whatever your problem is, okay? It's not your value problem yet. I'm tying the context to the problem that people typically have associated with that context. And then after that, all I'm saying is we automate that. We get rid of that problem. And then the last paragraph is a simple ask. Can I take five minutes to see if this is even a moderately relevant problem for you? And if we can be helpful. And that's the email. Short. Nice, man. So where did you learn this three by three rule? Was it from vigorously testing yourself after years of cold emailing back and forth and, and not getting further? Or was it some, something someone told you or a bit of both? Yeah. So the problem with the internet is it's like this, it's like the chat. It's like the comment section in a YouTube video. It's like where, where all intelligence goes to die sometimes. And anybody that, they want, that wants to have some sort of thought out there can post an email drip cadence. Like some guy who sold pipes in 1975 is going to post an email cadence, even though he never actually used something called outreach or sales loft. And so I, I would read all these different cadences and some of them I would try them and I'd be like, this is junk. Or you'd read these books and it's like, guys, where did you come up with this stuff? And so I tried like everything. I tried the Jay Barrows email cadences, which I think are some of my personal favorite ones. I've tried the HubSpot cadences. And what I found is when I tested multiple approaches, the shorter emails always had a higher response rate and a higher positive response rate. And the more conversational I could get in the tone of those emails, the more likelihood I would have to book a meeting with those folks. And I tested the spacing. I tested the subject lines. Outreach has some phenomenal functionality where you can do this stuff. And if you're not testing what you're doing, then you're just shooting in the dark. Is that a tool that you'd recommend anyone tuning in that thinking they could up their like email cadences or their cold email game that should totally. they, they should be investing in? Outreach, sales loft. If you don't have one of the major sales automation tools, you guys are missing out. Uh, you got to propose it to your sales leader. It, unfortunately, it's an, an ex, it's an expensive tool, so you're going to have to make a case for it. But I can do three times the work and just as much tailoring as you can being one body with one of those tools. Got it, man. Okay. So that's, that's the typical framework you use to generate meetings and, and get those all booked in. Um, are there any other tools? We've talked a bit about the phone. We've talked a bit about 
email and cadences and combining the two. Um, are there any other, any other platforms or channels that you like to use, Arman, to, to get meetings booked to generate pipeline? Yeah, so I have some tricks inside of Salesforce that are somewhat underutilized. And so everyone knows, like, you first come onto the sales floor and everyone says, why don't you run a closed lost? report, which means show me all of the opportunities that were lost by another rep at some point, And let me call on those folks. And, and everybody's doing that. What I suggest you guys do instead is you can get really, really creative with the Salesforce reporting. And so for example, if you're pulling in activity from customers in the Salesforce and you have all their emails down, you can run a report that says, uh, show me all emails that came in about six months ago or between six and 12 months ago that say six months in the email, which means when you open up those customer emails, it probably means they said, call me back in six months. So we call it activity-based reporting, right? I can uh, search for all of the customer accounts that at any point in time have emailed us back. And so I can look for that bracket in, in the email and that's going to tell me that these people will actually reply. And so get really, really crafty and creative with being able to scrub activities in Salesforce instead of peeling through one account at a time. Nice. Okay. So essentially going through deals that might have been closed last, filtering them to, to actually having that granular six-month time frame in there. And then you do, you just do, a, do you just put them through the same cadence in terms of reworking them or? So pick your top couple of triggers, pick your top cu- couple of situations. Uh, for example, if somebody, if we've closed lost a deal in the past, I've got my closed loss cadence. If somebody's part of a certain uh, investor's portfolio, I have a, an investor specific sequence, right? So come up with your top, I don't know, nine, 10 verticals or things that you go after, different personas if that's your shtick and then create a different, different cadence for each of them. Got it. Got it. And in terms of research, Arman, so we, we mentioned that you're, you're bringing the context, you bring the value, for example, if you're reaching out to a business, uh, a VP of sales, marketing director, whoever you're reaching out to cold and you're doing a bit of research, like they might have just won a certain round of funding, they might have just had a new business win, they might have just done something that's relevant to your industry. How much time should we be spending on this kind of research? And is there platforms that are best to typically do on? Yeah, it, so there's account level research and then there's contact level research so account level research are things that i can tailor for the entire every person at the company right and so if they just raised a new round that's not like only the cfo that that applies to it applies to the ceo the cio etc and so the company level research is really industry specific so for example we we go after the venture space uh, we're we're using like crunchbase we're using pitchbook uh we're using linkedin to understand how how much employee growth they've had for your space. If you're selling like, I don't know, ERP, you're selling to public companies, you're selling to the fortune 500. Now you're reading 10 Ks. Now maybe you're using a solution like Bloomberg instead of uh, one of the other ones that we're using. And so that one's a little bit tougher. It's industry specific, At the contact level. I mean, it's almost always LinkedIn and zoom info for us. So I'm going to find the contact info, info through Zoom info, and then I can piece together three, four things based on what you've liked or commented on on LinkedIn alone. Like nine times out of ten, I can find something to mention, whether it's the alma mater, whether it's you've worked at a current at a you've worked at a previous job where that custom that that company was a customer. I can stitch together three or four things based off of your LinkedIn. Anything more than that. Unless it's a big public company and you want to read like the CEO's section on the 10K, 
anything more than that, like you're going to spend way too much time researching accounts. So know your sources before you actually start researching and know exactly what you're looking for between before you open one data provider at all. Awesome, man. And that aside, are there any other channels that you tap into? For example, some of the guests on the show have said that LinkedIn, for example, direct message videos, the personalized videos are a great way to set new meetings or audio message or things like that. So is there anything else that's slightly unusual that you've had success with that you'd recommend that people get into? Yeah. So inside of the cadences, on my second touch, I typically like to weave in a LinkedIn connection. Ah, okay. And then around the fifth or sixth touch, I usually like to have a LinkedIn direct message uh, to the people who have accepted. Because in mails, they tend to get lost. You only get like 30 or 60 of them a, a month or something like that. So you're actually capped because LinkedIn doesn't want you spamming so many people. And so I'm going to try to get people to accept first through some calls, through some emails, and then through a, a warm connection. And if that doesn't work, honestly, like the if, you, if you're in a high velocity prospecting environment, I have yet to seen somebody really, really scale phenomenal usage of video across 200 contacts a week. Like that's a lot of talking at a screen. A lot, isn't right? it? So what I do prefer is I'm going to hit you with the connection and then the DM on step six or seven. And then when you give me an objection, when I know you're willing to reply, if you give me any signal of warmth, instead of replying to not interested with a text response, I'm going to record a video. And that's money. Handle your objections over video now that you've got somebody to reply, now that you've got somebody's eyeballs on you. That's an awesome tip, man. Nice. Mix it up a bit. Cool. Yeah. Okay. We've covered some, some great, great angles in terms of prospecting. Now, in terms of habits and mindset, our man, so being able to, to hit such big quotas and anyone that's generally set themselves a target for the week, for the month, for the year, is there a certain mindset or certain habits that you'd recommend people adopt to actually make these things happen? Yeah. Do you want to hit on the morning routine? Let's do it. All right, you guys have probably been talked to death about morning routines, and I'm going to give you guys one that doesn't include all the stuff around meditation and all that stuff. So you, you can, this is, this is what I do to get hot in the morning. And so here's how I plan my day is my philosophy is that if the first thing that you do when you get out of bed is start getting ready for work, you are starting your day on somebody else's terms. Most people start their day getting out of bed to start their day at the latest possible time so that they don't get fired, they're not late for a client's meeting, their baby isn't crying in their face, their spouse isn't mad at them, their kids aren't late to work or to school, and that's a huge problem. And so, for example, every day of the week this week, uh, with the exception of today because we've had this really early podcast, uh, I've woken up at 5.30 a.m. And nobody's telling me to wake up at 5.30 a.m. But the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to get up and I'm going to wash my face and brush my teeth and just freshen up. I'm going to sit right back down and I'm going to read for 30 minutes. And I'm going to read whatever the heck I want. Right? I'm a big Tim Ferriss fan. I'll read four-hour work week. Sometimes it's a sales book. My favorite is Gap Selling. Sometimes it's a book about management. Choice. Sometimes it's a book about Harry Potter or whatever you want. Right? So I'm going to read for 30 minutes and I'm going to just focus on me. Okay, my girlfriend's still asleep at this time. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm drinking my pre-workout and I'm getting ready to go to the gym and go work out. And now some of the gyms are opening up. Thank God. If not, that's your home workout. Okay. And so that's 6 a.m. Around 6 a.m. I'm starting off the workout. Around 7, it's done. I'm showering. I'm getting ready. I've got an hour of runway to just do me before I get in the office. And so that might be editing a podcast. That might be thinking through my next big thing. That might be thinking through my marketing strategy. That might be writing a LinkedIn post. 
But by the time that 8.30 hits the bell and I'm ready to rock or 8 a.m. or whenever my first meeting is, I've already had two hours of me time and I'm just heating up. Everybody else is just trying to wake up right now. And I've already had my workout. I've already done my professional development and I'm ready to lock and load and hit the phones. Got it. Awesome, man. So making sure you're setting that time, not leaving everything to the last minute, it sounds like. And you, you've already done a bit of reading, you've done a bit of workout and yeah, ready to, ready to rock and roll. And what about mindset? So you, you said, for example, you were, you were setting around eight meetings per week, 200 or so dials. You've run us through the cadences. To, to maintain these, these figures, these stats, how do you do it? How do you keep the mindset? How do you keep positive? How do you keep making that happen? Yeah, the, so the biggest thing is like, again, I'm going to start my morning in, an, in, in a way that's going to try to make me feel unstoppable. And then when I'm high on that energy, it goes into the daily routine. So that was the morning routine, but the daily routine, I'm a big fan of what I call eating the frog, okay? So if I put a frog in front of you right now and I tell you to eat it, the longer you look at that thing, the less appetizing it's going to look and the more you're going to want to not do that. And so what I do is the moment I get in 8 a.m., 8.30, whatever, I'm going to clear my inbox because some people say like, oh, don't look at your email ever. I got to clear it out in the morning because the customer might want a contract, right? That's going to take me 8 to 8.30, 8.30 to 9.30, boom, I'm on the phones. Okay. I'm doing what everybody else doesn't want to do. Everybody's chatting around. They're having their coffee. They're making their avocado toast. They're having a good time. No, no, no. We're on the phones. 9.30 is done. Everybody else is just heating up, getting ready for their customer meetings. I've booked two meetings in the morning. 8 a.m., 8.30 a.m. to 3, 4 p.m., those are my golden hours, okay? And so I have blocks, two dial blocks a day and a litany of customer meetings in between. Typically one dial block in the morning, first thing in the morning, one dial block right after lunch so I can get on my feet and moving again. And then from three to five or from four to six, that's when I'm doing all of my admin. So I send all of my recap emails in the afternoon. I don't think you need to do this the minute after the interview. I do all of my confirmations for the next day at the end of the previous day. I do all of my pipe reviews twice a week at the end of the day. And then if there's time left, I always carve out one to two hours to prospect and do one piece of the prospecting cycle. And that means not cold calling, it means like finding accounts, researching accounts, teeing up the context, teeing up the cadences, teeing up the emails, so that all that stuff gets done in the non-golden hours, so that the moment 8 a.m. hits tomorrow, I'm live. And you gotta that's defend fun. your calendar, and that's how you get it done. Awesome, so it sounds like a heck of a lot of preparation, getting things ready. And that way you're not stressing out when it comes 8, 30, 9 o'clock and you've got, you're already ready to go in your case already on the phones and setting meetings. Yeah. You, 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 there's no decision fatigue around, okay, I have an empty hour here. What do I do now? My day is planned the day before. So I can literally just live out of my calendar and tunnel vision. That's how you manage so many balls in the air is you manage one at a time very efficiently. Got it. Got it, man. And anyone that's tuning in right now, um, it might be a sales rep, it might be marketing, or they might even run their own business that's just, just struggling and just thinking, look, I'm not quite getting as many meetings or as many demos or as many consultations booked every week as I should be. Have you got one or two pro tips that they might not have yet thought about, we've not yet discussed, that can help them just get to that next step? Hmm. In terms of getting in front of conversations and negotiating the conversations, what do you prefer? Yeah, yeah, let's say getting, getting in front. 
Yeah, so getting in front of the conversations, the, the biggest, so the devil's in the details, right? I'm telling you this phone operator, I'm telling you this, these email structures, but how you actually do it is the devil in the details. And so if we go back to the emails, what I urge you guys to do is I get outreach all the time where people are like, typically a VP of uh, a director of sales like you wants more leads. We give you more leads. And I'm like, guys, that's not specific enough. I need something that's a really, really, really raw contextual problem. And so this comes from a guy named Jason Bay. As you think of that first problem, that second problem, that third problem, go listen to your call recordings. Go listen to the customers who had the biggest problems, who were the most specific, who you did your best discovery on. Okay. And so, for example, if I'm selling in some sort of accounting system, I might say a problem as specific as like, hey man, typically when, when you get to a company of your size, uh, we have customers who have an issue where their bank account amount doesn't tie to how much money they have in QuickBooks. And so when they go to pay payroll, they're overdrafting their bank. And the next thing you know, they look like a fool in front of their employees, right? I'm not assuming that happens to you guys, but we tie it all together. And that's how specific you need to get. You need to use their words, not your words. If you can do that and talk in their voice and not give a shit about yourself, but give a shit about them, that's where you really start to make the money and get those reply rates up. Nice, man. So getting really, really specific in depth. And it sounds like talking to your customers, so understanding exactly how you've been helping them, the issues they, you help them solve, and then converting that into an email that corresponds, that reads well to, to the prospects, to who you want to connect with. You got it. Awesome, Amanda. Well, we've covered some fantastic things today. And I'd like to ask everyone that comes on this show, if you could thank just one person, either dead or alive, for having a positive influence on yourself and your career, who would that be and why? Oh, yeah. So this would, uh, we drive each other crazy, but this would be my, my business partner, my, my podcast partner, Nick Sigelski. Uh, we, uh, we were startup founders together. We were college wrestling teammates to, together. He prevented me from quitting the team. Um, I was about to quit the team just because I, I wasn't feeling it. I, didn't, I wasn't in, I was super detached from the campus. I didn't feel like I had a sense of community. I was going to leave the school in general. And he, he was the one who invested in me and got me to come back to the team. Uh, I forced him to go into sales. And then when I was in venture, he pulled me back into sales. And the next thing you know, we invest in real estate together. We run a podcast together. You need somebody in your life who is always trying to get one step ahead and is trying to pull you along with them. And we're always one-upping each other. You got to find that business partner in your life who's always going to take you to the next level. You got to stop hanging out with those deadbeat friends and you got to start finding people who are going to push you to that next level. Love that, man. Well, everyone, you've been tuning into Sam's Business Growth Show where we sit down with business leaders, business experts, and entrepreneurs from around the globe. We found out their story, how digital marketing's helped along the way, and their exclusive tips and insights to help you skyrocket yourself and your business. Um, oh, man, tell us a bit more about how people can connect, connect with you, how people can learn with you, and um, the best way to get in touch with your good self. Definitely. And so the, the first way is find me on LinkedIn. It's just, there's only one of me, Armand Farouk. It's, it's a weird name. So find me on LinkedIn. Make a lot of obnoxious sales posts on LinkedIn as well. The other re- way you can find me is uh, 30 Minutes to Presidents Club. It's our podcast. It's all no-nonsense, actionable sales tactics. If you liked what you heard here and how I break it down, you'll probably like that. If you think I'm really annoying, you probably won't like it. And so check it out if you like this episode. Nice one, dude. Guys, make sure to follow his podcast. Follow Amanda on LinkedIn. Oh, man, thanks so much for coming on, man. Awesome. Cheers. Are you tired of constantly hunting for new customers? 
You could be missing out on regular inbound opportunities, all because your website isn't on the first page of Google. Perhaps you're already spending lots of money on advertising, but your website is failing to convert all of your hard-earned visitors into a consistent flow of new customers. If you'd like to learn more about our unusual approach that brings idle clients straight to you, connect with Sam Dunning on LinkedIn or book a free 20-minute consultation via webchoiceuk.com. That's webchoiceuk.com. Subscribe today for more digital marketing, sales and business growth tips from the experts.